here's the difference that I see between leaders and managers. A management manager is threatened by those underneath him or her because like, well, they might take my job. As a leader, if I'm a true leader, I want my people to be better than me. I want them to grow. I want them to be part of my team. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 21 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Today's guest is Greg Cozera, who's a versatile writer and speaker with extensive knowledge of valuable subjects from leadership skills to the science behind fracking. Greg has been teaching young people the value of leadership and the steps to become a great leader for years. He's been the assistant coach to the high school boys soccer team at Charleston Catholic High School in Charleston, West Virginia for over 15 years and has led them to five state championships in the last six years. He often speaks to high school and college students on the subject of leadership and the tools needed to be a great leader. He is also the author of the book, Learned Leadership, which will teach you how to awaken the leader within. Before we get into the interview with Greg, if you're enjoying my podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take five minutes and write a review on iTunes. These reviews help the visibility of the iTunes world to attract a larger audience to my podcast. If you're unsure of the steps in writing a review, please visit this episode on my website and look for the show notes for directions. Remember, you can listen to my podcast by downloading the episode from my website or on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, if you've not signed up for the SN Challenge, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and scroll down to the SN Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the effective habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. If you're unaware of what the YesAnd Challenge is all about, I discuss this in more detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Greg Cozera. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Great to have you today. Uh, today, I've got my guest, Greg Cozera. Greg uh, and I know each other, well, met through the National Speakers Association, the Ohio chapter. I've gotten to know Greg a little bit over this past year or so. We were in a virtual mastermind group together, which was very successful, which led to a lot of uh, changes in my website. And I was really impressed with Greg's knowledge, uh, experience, and his approach to uh, the speaking business, as well as approach to leadership. So first and foremost, thank you, Greg, for taking time out of your busy day. I greatly appreciate you uh, uh, giving us this time to be a guest on my podcast, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Peter, good to be on board with you today. Good stuff. And uh, Greg's talking to us from Charleston, West Virginia. So, Greg, before we get started, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a engineer, graduated from West Virginia way back in the 70s. Uh, my master's is in environment. I was in agricultural engineering, I graduated uh, in 2000 with a master's in environmental, but been in the energy industry for 40 plus years. So, I uh, work for a company called Halliburton that everybody's heard, heard about now. Yeah, I've heard know? of them. And, and you know, it's amazing, Peter. When I started out with those guys back in the 70s, I'd check into hotels and, you know, they always had you put down your company. And I'd write down Halliburton. And everybody looked, what do they do? I mean, you know, if, <laughs> for 30 years, you know, nobody knew what a Halliburton was. Now, all of a sudden, Cheney shows up. and here, But here's what I can tell you about Cheney. And, you know, a great leader. Now, the poor guy, you know, Halliburton does a lot of they work on oil wells. So they do cementing and hydraulic fracturing, fracking business. People talk about Cheney and fracking. The poor guy, 
he wouldn't know a frack job if he drove up on it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, because and I know this, I know this because I was a manager and the guy understood. They brought him on because of his international relationships. But I could tell by the stuff that came out of Houston, he had no clue how we made, how we generated income out here in the Northeast or other places. So, so it was pretty obvious he didn't know that. Now, from a leadership standpoint, though, I can still remember back in the Cheney days, there were four key things. One, we were going to be number one or number two in our core businesses. We were going to be a great place to work. We were going to provide exceptional shareholder value. And the fourth one was something to do with safety. But think about that. That's been what was he was doing that in the 90s. So that's been 20 years. Yeah. Since I can still remember those four things. Now think about it, Peter. How many companies today? And I can tell you this. Uh, we work for ourselves, 100%. Lynn and I learned leadership. Uh, we started that about four years ago. So I've been working for other folks. But in March, we're full-time. This is what I do. I speak. I do leadership training, uh, motivational talks, team building type stuff. But And we do energy education. But what's amazing, I can think about the companies I've been with. And I couldn't tell you what the vision was. Matter of fact, I actually asked. Lazar, the new CEO of Halliburton, back, it was 5,000 salespeople at this meeting. And you know, at that point, I kind of felt like I was bulletproof. So he asked the questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm the first guy that holds up his hand. And I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Fire me? You know, come. And I asked him, I said, Mr. Lazar, what's our vision? Now, remember, I told you what Cheney's vision was. We knew what we were supposed, where we were going. And he went on, Peter, for, I'll bet, 15 minutes. And when he got done, I still had no clue <laughs> what our vision was. I had no idea. And, and and I think if there's a message that will help your listeners when it comes to leadership is leaders know where they're going. I mean, I'll bet you right now, if I ask you, what's your vision for your business? Where do you want to be at the end of the year? I'll bet you you could tell me. I bet you I could too. Absolutely. <laughs> and think about how many companies couldn't make that statement. If I, if I have, and as an employee, but particularly as a management employee, if I don't know what the vision is, I can guarantee you my people don't know what it is. Now I can tell, tell them what my vision is, what I need to do. But, but, and you know, you know how powerful this. I'm also a high school soccer coach. And we started teaching leadership way back in 1999. And because we felt like, geez, we want these seniors to be leaders, but how are they going to, what are they going to use? I mean, do they just become leaders because they're seniors? So we started teaching them this stuff. And the first year, it was amazing. We had, Peter, we had one returning starter. We're a little Charleston Catholic, a little small high school in Charleston. And those, in those days, we had to play everybody, the biggest, the baddest, the best. And we never won anything, never won a section there. I mean, forget regions. And we got one returning starter. We're rebuilding this team. And I, we're talking about leadership, and I said to these, I got these four seniors together to practice. Now, gentlemen, leaders, I tell them about vision. I said, what's your vision? What's your dream? Where do you want to be at the end of this season? And I'll never forget, this kid's a doctor down in Charleston, South Carolina now. And he says, this BJ stands up. He says, coach, we want to play for the state championship. <laughs> and I, I looked at him. And I'm thinking, this is a joke. And I'm looking in his eyes, and it's not a joke. He's dead serious. And I went, you know, I was Peter, I was this close to saying, you know, BJ, that's a great vision, but maybe we ought to aim a little lower, like, you know, winning season and, and, you know, there's, and we get, we play some big schools and, you know, I, but I just said this, I said, okay, we got a lot of work to do. And he convinced me that we could actually do this. We convinced the seniors and together we convinced the team. And I'll tell you how absolutely not so it was. I mean, again, we got what he didn't know at the time. We had to play two schools that in 15 years we had never beat these two schools. And we had to go through them, one in the section, one in the region to get the state tournament. And anyhow, at the end of practice, get, I'd get the kids together, the boys together, and I, we'd talk about what our goal was for the next game or the next practice. And, that, and I would jump, you picture this, I would jump up in the air, throw my hands in the air and scream, what's a dream? <laughs> and the entire team would scream, to that wasn't to win the state championship then, it was to play for it. The short story is against all odds. We beat those two schools. We beat one in the region championship, and we beat them. We didn't just beat them. 
we beat them like a drum. We beat them five nothing. <laughs> and and it was the craziest thing because I'm watching this happen. I'm watching this totally dismantle a team that we haven't beaten 15 years. And I'm thinking, this is a dream because you're going to wake up and realize that none of this has ever happened. And it was real. But the coolest thing was when that game was over, our opponent literally in place sat down. It was in unison. The entire team just sat down on the field. You know, it's like they're trying to figure out what in the world just happened to us out here today. The second team, we played in the state semifinal, and they were our arch rival. And pitchers, 15 years we haven't beat them. We're playing them twice a season. So there was like 30 games out there that we hadn't won. We're down 2 nothing at halftime. And I remember my halftime talking. You talk about coming out fired up. But it was with about 18 minutes left, we scored. And then with less than two minutes left, BJ, the captain, scores again. We go into overtime. And in overtime, we we had to play the whole overtime. We fell behind. And this kid's a doctor now here in the Charleston area. He scores, literally, with one second left in overtime to tie the game and send it to a shootout. So you talk about motivation. We have, and, and, and here's the thing. In the shootout, there's a kid comes up to us, it's, uh, and he, he, wanted, he was a senior. He wanted to be one of the five shooters. And he scores the winning goal in the shootout to send us into the, the state tournament for the first time in the history of the school. But it gets better, Peter, because, you know, what you and I know as speakers is you throw these seeds out there, whether you're doing this podcast or whether you're speaking to an audience, you're planting seeds, and you never know where they're going to grow or how they're going to grow. And 2012, my wife had a really serious car accident. It was right here in I actually live, I'm close to Charleston, but I live in a little town called Pinch, West Virginia. So you can imagine, not very big. So I had just got home from work. She was right behind me. I had the dog out. I get this phone call and said, Mr. Kazara, your wife's been in a little accident here in downtown Pinch. Uh, you might want to come down here. She gave, this is her phone and, you know, she, she's all right. So I'm thinking, okay, a fender bender. I get down there. There's a crowd gathering. The fire truck's on its way and her car is flipped on its top in the middle of the road and she's a diabetic. She passed out and literally she, she tore everything up all four sides and the top and she's still in the car. And you talk about helpless. I mean, there's nothing I can do. And the paramedics were awesome. They got her out and, uh, but the long story short, she broke her neck because of the force of the collision. Thank God for airbags. And, and she had a gash in her head. So here it is. Yeah, this was a Friday, Sunday morning, this team of doctors comes in. And we talk about vision, how powerful that is. So they, they look her over, and, and she's hurt. I mean, she, she can barely talk, and she's got this gash in her head. She can't move anything. And as they're starting to leave, my wife whispers, talk. And the head trauma surgeon goes over to it, and he's got to actually bend his, his, his head down over her mouth so she can, he can hear her speak. She says, we have a trip to Disney World planned the middle of next month. <laughs> Is there any reason I can't go? <laughs> and, and the guy just loses it. He's laughing. I'm laughing. And then he says, well, you know, you might be a little uncomfortable if you're driving. I said, well, I got plane tickets. He said, no problem. But here's the rest of the story. I recognized one of those five. And as they're leaving the room, this young man says to me, do you remember me, coach? And I said, Nathan, I'll never forget you. The kid that scored the goal in the shootout that put us in the state championship game is now a doctor. And I found out he's a damn good doctor. Well, guess who's my wife's doctor for five days? Nathan. And he had heard. He knew her vision. He knew her dream. And I had to do. I had to run an errand for her the next day. And this was Sunday. Can you imagine? Sunday morning, she's laying there in bed. She can't move. She's got the gash in her head. She can barely speak. I'm back. It's 5 o'clock Monday evening. When I get back, she's not in her bed. I'm thinking, what in the world's going on? I'm, I'm worried. And I look, and he's got her in a walker going down the hall. <laughs> and between Nathan and Linda, they pulled it off. And I have a picture of my wife in a wheelchair with our oldest granddaughter in front of the haunted mansion at Walt Disney World in Florida one month later. The power of a dream. And when you and I and your listeners sow seeds, you don't know where they're going to grow because Nathan understood this whole vision thing. And that was probably part of the reason why he was a doctor. Incredibly. 
and, and as it turns out, his office now is he's he's a he's moved on. He's a, actually a heart doctor, and he's on the same floor as my wife's working today. And they literally are on the same floor in this medical building. So you talk about the what's the odds? I mean, I'm I'm not that creative a guy. I can't make this stuff up. <laughs> wow, that's that's a that's that's a story. I mean, we went from Halliburton and Dick Cheney to soccer to Disney World to your wife's wreck to Disney World, but you kind of tied it all up in a nice little bow there. That I mean, there's I got a lot of questions to ask, even even just from the just just from that 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 story. The, the the one thing you were talking about, you could remember Cheney's vision, but when the CEO was given his vision, he went out for like 15 minutes, and you walked away, and you didn't. I had no idea. No idea. Which takes me right to Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address. Because the guy who spoke before him was a former Secretary of State, spoke for two hours. Nobody even knows his name. His name is Everett something or other. But Lincoln spoke. Do you know how many words were in the Gettysburg Address? Not very many. 272. <laughs> spoke for 10 minutes. And so to your point, he was concise, he was brief, he was to the point, everybody remembered it versus the person. And that's the thing I look at leaders. And it was emotional. I mean, that's the thing. We, as leaders, we have to touch the emotion. It has to mean something. And, you know, I mean, you and I can both remember, I can't repeat the whole Gettysburg Address, but I got a pretty good idea, four score and seven years ago. But, but you know, I, I, I know the gist of it. And think about that. You're right. I mean, 200-some words over 150 years ago, and people still remember. How powerful is that? That's, that's, you're right. That's a leader. That's a leader. And I know you got a copy of my book. And if you're looking, if you're looking at my book, I uh, took the liberty and rewrote the Gettysburg Address in the corporate speak, which you might find extremely hilarious these days because I just get off on buzzwords. But the other one that you, that you mentioned that I want to touch on briefly was um, the guy who had the vision of making it to the state championship and you're sitting there going, are you, in your mind, you're going, are you kidding me, kid? Are you, are you kidding? But that, in the movie, uh, Remember the Titans, there's the scene between the captain and, and, and the other, the, the, the captain of the white guy, uh, African-American uh, football player, and they're going at each other. And basically, he talks about, you know, leadership, it's all about attitude. And in the movie, the, the captain's attitude was, was not of leadership quality. And that was kind of a start of the change uh, of things in, in the movie. But makes me think of the, the soccer guy. He had the attitude. And he kept that attitude. And basically, you said he convinced you. I mean, that's, that's classic. It, it really did. It, and you know what's so powerful, Peter, is that attitude. That's why this whole vision thing is so critical for us as individuals. But even as, as as corporations, because it drove everything else. I mean, think about it. Practice. It, you know, it's like if 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 your dream is, well, we're gonna have a 500 season. You know, maybe we'll win some games. Maybe we will. How hard are you gonna practice? <laughs> Not very. I mean, the intensity. I, I remember the drills that we went through the week before the state championship game, state tournament. I mean, they were working hard. And who was leading the drills? BJ. So, you know, and the other piece of that is you got to believe in it. And that's, that's, that was the trick because we can say state championship to a game to our, the cows come home, as they say. But if I don't believe it, and I'll never forget my, my halftime talk, we're down 2 0. And, and we were talking about the head coach, I'm the assistant coach, talked about the things we had to do, those, those things that had to change. And I talked, I said this, I said, gentlemen, I said, what's the dream? And they said, state championship game. I said, and he said, we're going to win this tonight to get there. I said, and the only thing I remember saying is, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't believe we can still win this game and play in the state championship game, you need to stay here in the locker room. And all I remember is someone yelled something, and the whole team went out fired up. And, boy, you talk about their level of play in the second half to the first half. It was intense, and finally, and it's it's strange how things happen when you're when you're hustling, when you're making things happen. Luck will come your way, and we had our first goal was this kid just took a weak shot at the goal. There wasn't much to it, 
but the ball took a crazy hop away from their goalkeeper and scored. And all of a sudden, now it's you know 18 minutes, one we're down a goal, and nobody quit. Even think about it. Can you imagine you're down a goal in overtime? There's 30 seconds left in the game, right? And here's the cool thing: our opponent was loaded with seniors. We had we had like four, and one of them, only one of them was a starter too. And they got their bags lined up. They're ready to leave because they know that there's no way in the world we're going to come back and beat them in this overtime. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that, that that whole, you know, their goalie kicks the ball away and our keeper comes way out of the goal, traps it, passes it to who? Nathan, who passes it to Stewart, who's the other uh, striker, who passes it to, to BJ. Now, here's the rest of the story. BJ, senior captain, his dream, he's got the ball. He's in probably... 10 yards away from the goal. And most of the time, there's 10 seconds left. They're counting it down. And he doesn't shoot. He passes the ball to, to little Kenny Proops. And Kenny literally is probably five foot tall, Peter. And he put, think about it, the, 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 the When we as leaders, one of the things we have to do is develop our people. And he had developed Kenny to the point as a freshman. Kenny shouldn't even been on the field. He wasn't a starter. He was there because someone else got hurt. Kenny's on the field. BJ passes in the ball, and Kenny shoots and scores with one second left. Now, wow. think about it. His whole dream is state championship game, and he doesn't take the shot. He passes it to a freshman that he trained that isn't even a starter. Wow. And and, and that was something I didn't even think about that. I, I've been talking, doing, doing these talks, and it was like three years later. And like, oh, my God, how powerful is that? I mean, think about how many the businesses you talk to, how many people their shortcoming as leaders is that they won't trust their people. I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, I mean, well, yeah, this this report's kind of tough. I don't know if Sam can handle it. I mean, how many times do we not develop our people or do we not trust them? And and let's face it, if you develop your people, that's I mean, is a, here's the difference that I see between leaders and managers. A management managers threatened by those underneath him or her, because like, well, they might take my job. As a leader, if I'm a true leader, I want my people to be better than me. I want them to grow. I want them to be part of my team, and I should never be threatened by those people. And BJ obviously wasn't. He wasn't worried that Kenny was taking his job. He wanted to win. He wanted success. There's there's one piece in there that you haven't said, but you've alluded to it, and and, and that leadership role when he passed the ball and had the other. He didn't have a huge ego. He didn't need to feed his ego by being the one that scored. You know, that that is, you're right. And that's, I, I think, when leaders can, we all have egos. We all have egos. But when leaders can swallow their ego and what's best for the team, not what's best for them, the whole is greater than some of its parts, goes a long way in building leaders and also building a team and also maintaining a team. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because our 2012 team, I mean, we, we finally, we've won, I think six, five state championships in the last seven years now. I mean, this is, that's what, that's what those young men started way back then. I mean, this is something now these, I mean, we've been to the state tournament eight years in a row. So what do our seniors do this year? It's like, well, yeah, of course, coach, we're going back to state tournament. We're going to win. I mean, they, that's their mentality. But our 12 team, we had a kid, super young man's our captain. He was leading the state in scoring at two thirds or two thirds of the way through the season, Peter. And the last third of the season, I'm noticing he's not taking shots as many. He's distributing the ball. And what was so cool in the state championship game, a freshman scored three goals. Sam, instead of Sam taking the glory, he was developing his people. And at the end, we were up 4 nothing. Sam hadn't scored. He's finally scored the fifth goal. But, you know, by then, the game's out of reach, and, and, you know, we already had it pretty well in hand. But the whole thing about the concept is, here's this kid that can be the leading scorer in the state, and he doesn't do it because it's more important to develop those freshmen that are going to be in that game. And then he got what he wanted. He got it. He wanted to stay championship. He, we won it. We won it handily. But if he'd have been that ego guy that you're talking about, those freshmen wouldn't have been ready to play when they were. And, and the first goal was scored from a freshman to a freshman. Sam developed those players. So I got, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, this, is a, this is a wonderful story. 
have you turned it into a keynote? I've told pieces of it, but not to this level. You need to put that whole piece and develop it into a keynote because it's very, very powerful and relatable because of soccer and the things that you've talked about here. I tell you what, it would make one hell of a keynote address. Good point. I like that because I think if there's anything that we can do to help our our audiences, I think is to help and is is to help them understand that whole vision piece. Because even no matter what they're doing, it's going to help. So I, I thank you for that. That's a good point because because I, 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 I've never put all those pieces together like you just did. I've, I've done bits and pieces of it, but not in one. How would you say congruent story? But I, I would get post-it notes out. I will send you a, a copy of, of the audio before we even even play it so you can go back and listen to it. And I would lay it out in post-it notes and develop the keynote because I think it has this very strong, powerful message uh, uh, on leadership. Uh, I, I, think it would, I think it would actually blow audiences away. And, and thinking about, I mean, I, as, as, as you're talking, and to, uh, my other question was, do you have this story in your book, and the name of your book again is? Well, the first book is Learned Leadership. Learned Leadership, and that was published when? It was in 2007, and that's Strictly Leadership, and that's really the book that we teach even our seniors. That's really kind of like the, the Bible when it comes to leadership. Okay, so so this story is not in, in that book. Actually, it, it's interesting. Both stories, I mean, in in the leadership book, the BJ story is. Okay. I mean, that's the lead, lead story. And, and and a lot of what we talked about with BJ and, and, you know, that whole 99 team, that stuff is in there. Now, what's interesting, the second book is called Just the Frax, ma'am. Should we say that? Just the Frax? Just the Frax, ma'am. Okay. It's the truth about fracking. And, I, you know, as a speaker, I couldn't get away from the motivational piece because we talk about yeah, there's the, I'll call it the science or the technology and, and, and what this means to Americans. And at the end of the day, I want, I had to I'd talk how important it is that we, we can come together and do the right thing for this country. And so a lot of people, you know, they get a little jaded and they don't believe in it. So I, in that book, believe it or not, is the Nathan Linda story. So I actually, I have that story written down in just the fracks. And matter of fact, this lady, I'd written just the fracks so that the average American can read it and understand. Matter of fact, my editor was from New York City, and I had to take the tech terms out. It's written by an engineer, but it doesn't read like that. He wouldn't let me do that. So, so this lady, when she, uh, when she got done with the book, I was, I said, oh, "What'd you think?" She says, "When it was over, I was in tears." <laughs> I'm thinking, what? I said, "Something real." And then I remembered Linda's story is in. The very end. Oh. So when she finished the book, that was the closing story. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, those are, they're in there. But again, it's not a current piece because when I wrote the first one, the second piece hadn't happened yet. So it was, uh, but good point. So you're leading authority as it relates to fracking? I am. Because I actually did hear you on 700 WLW, it's probably about two months ago or so. Yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, where they, they interviewed you um, as it relates to, to fracking. And, and can you can you give the audience just a 10,000-foot, I mean, I think just because of your diverse background and one that, you, that you're in the energy field and, and very an authority in that field, I think, you know, parting some of that wisdom would be uh, great to this audience. Sure. And, and you know, in a sense, they're tied together because one of the keys to, a, to being a great leader is truth and integrity. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been led or I shouldn't say managed by people that I couldn't trust them. <laughs> I mean, you know, because I've watched what they did. I mean, literally, I mean, I, I watched one guy that something really he, he had told this. Engine, young engineer to do something and it backfired and at this big meeting the vp had all these got folks together was one of my clients and he's chewing out this young engineer for what he did and i'm looking at his manager because i know what happened i'm looking at him i'm thinking surely you're going to step up and say it wasn't him it was me never did that and i'm thinking all right what do i know now if he tells me something it's going down in writing I'm going to make sure that someone's heard it because if it backfires, I know this. He doesn't have my back. I can't trust him. Right. So leadership is all about trust and integrity. 
And that's what, you know, and we're looking at whether we're talking about local elections or a presidential candidate, you've got to be able to trust that person. When they stand in front of you, whether it's on TV or at a, at a meeting, and they say, this is where we're going, you got to believe it. I mean, whether it's corporate or whatever. So, so getting back to this whole fracking thing, I'm an engineer. I understand the process. We've been doing this, Peter, in the United States for 60 plus years. That's how long we've been fracking this country. We've fracked over 2 million wells. They're still, I mean, can you imagine? We've done this process 2 million times and they're still looking for the one well out of those 2 million that's contaminated groundwater. I'm thinking now, how nutso is this? I mean, really, folks? And I, I actually stood in front of the EPA two weeks ago and said, look, folks, here's what's going on. It was their science board. They're a bunch of PhDs, but they didn't understand that. And I said, here's the truth. Here's what's going on. I mean, so why are we studying this? And why? I mean, if we're going to worry about something, let's worry about something that's, that's going to happen. I mean, let's face it. The roads we travel on, I mean, unfortunately, highway fatalities are not uncommon. I mean, my wife was almost a fatality. I mean, if we use that same thought process, there would be no airplanes and there damn sure wouldn't be any cars. So, so anyway, I had to write, that was the reason I had to write the, the whole book on fracking. So just so your audience understands what it is, it's, it's really simple, is the rock that we get our oil and gas out of. And it's rock. It's not a cave. It's, it's inside the pores of a rock. If you pick up a, uh, a rock that's uh, sandstone or whatever, shale piece, it's actually in those pores. That Those rocks have pores. And it won't come out by itself. So what we do when they drill these wells, and the wells that we're drilling today are seven, eight, nine thousand feet deep, and we have to frack. And all the frack is is pumping some water and sand, or sometimes it's just nitrogen gas and sand, or nitrogen gas and, and nothing. To create a small crack, and this crack would be look like something you'd see maybe in your driveway or if you have a house that's settled. We're talking about a crack that's maybe a quarter of an inch. But that crack is like a super highway because that crack allows the oil and gas to flow out of that rock to a well bore pipe and come to the surface and fuel our nation. And we've been doing this for 60 years. And the only change that's happened, we started to drill wells horizontal, which means you get down six, seven, eight thousand feet, and that you can actually turn that pipe or that drill bit. And we can drill now horizontally, like your floor, two miles. Can you imagine a mile and a half deep and it's like an underground pipeline two miles out? And the only thing is we can create that crack or that frack multiple times, like 50 times in that horizontal well. And that creates what we a literally a world class well. And the United States in just the last seven, eight years, we are the leading oil producer, or we're either number one or number two, depending on the month. But we're one of the leading oil producers in the world, and we're the leading gas producer in the world. We are literally today, Peter, the energy gorilla of the planet. That's why your listeners and down here in West Virginia, we're still paying two fifty a gallon for gasoline. It was over four bucks a couple years ago. So that's the reason why gasoline. Well, I, I've done. On, on that uh, WLW, and, and I've done over 150 radio interviews. One of the first questions I get is, because our gasoline is $2 and some cents a gallon, does that have anything to do with fracking? Yeah, everything. I was on a station yesterday in Nashville, and this guy, I could tell even after I, I talked about what we're doing environmentally, that you know we're not creating a, a, a disaster. We're actually, I, I mean, I, I, I literally bill myself as an environmentalist because what we've done, whether it's hydraulic fracturing or whether it's the way well sites are reclaimed or the results of this whole thing is we've done more for the planet in the last seven or eight years than you put all these environmental groups, quote unquote, together and look and see what they've done. And it doesn't compare. It, it pales. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how, when just the fracks came out, I was doing a book signing in Charleston, a little hole-in-the-wall bookstore, right? Saturday morning, all my soccer players came out. What could go wrong, right? You know, it's cool. <laughs> this guy shows up. He's the head of the Green Party in West Virginia. He brings his entourage. He's driven two hours to come to my book signing. It's like, really? You're kidding me. I mean, am I that important all of a sudden? And we have this mini debate. And finally, I, I could tell, the, you know, the boys are saying, you know, come on, you know, Let's get this over. We got other things to do. But I can also 
tell that they wanted me to, I mean, I wasn't prepared for it. So it was kind of like I got sucker punched. I could see the boys were all saying, come on, coach, you got to get, you got to get him back. So, so finally we go through this stuff and he, he throws all this garbage out there that it's half truths. And, and I finally said, I'll tell you something, buddy. I said, and I went through what we've done as an industry, the oil and gas industry in America. We've brought, we've lowered CO2 10% since 2007. We've lowered it. The planet CO2 is up. It's down in this country, thanks to expanded use of natural gas. There's industry coming back. Ohio has steel mills now that would have been built in China or India, but because of low fuel prices, they came back to this country. We're bringing the chemical industry back to operate under U.S. environmental law. And when these well sites are reclaimed, they in Virginia, we've got an elk herd. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a place that used to be a strip mine that's got active gas wells that have all been fracked. There's elk herd, deer, wild turkey. And the rest of the story is they bring the Audubon people out to see the birds out here. I'm thinking, isn't that crazy? They, they don't, people don't like to talk about the oil and gas industries being green, but the Audubon Society goes out to look at birds. And I said, you know, isn't that amazing? You would never take the Audubon people to a windmill site unless you want to show them dead birds. Ah, check that bird. I mean, but the reality is wind and solar would cease to exist without oil and gas because the hydrocarbons, the, the even, you know, the, the cars, electric cars need electricity. Well, electricity takes coal or natural gas primarily. And it was the guy I was on this show yesterday. He was saying, well, he was talking about we ought to go to electric cars. I said, well, that's fine. Remember, we need coal and we need natural gas for electricity. But I said, more importantly, those cars are, have a lot of plastic because they got to be lightweight. And plastic comes from petrochemicals. Petrochemicals from oil, come from oil and gas wells that have all, because we frack every well in this country, uh, virtually. I mean, there's a few we don't, but we're talking about 99% of the wells require fracking. It's part of the process. And it only takes a day to do that. So, and I said, without fracking, electric cars would cease to exist. You can't have them without fracking. And so that's the, the message I want to get out to folks is look, this is an old process. It's not. I mean, it's like any other industrial process. You got to be smart. You got to do it right. But we're still looking for that first well that's contaminated groundwater. I mean, come on. So, but here's what's more important for our freedom. Our military runs on petroleum. You can't fuel a fighter jet on wind and you can't fuel a tank with solar. It takes oil and gas. And can you only imagine Putin fracks, all the OPEC countries frack, China fracks. So if we would ever do something really stupid like banning fracking. A, it's gonna, it's not gonna help our environment. It's gonna hurt it. And B, our oil and gas industry is gone. So now, can you imagine what happens? Our president, whoever that's gonna be, has to call Vladimir Putin or the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and say, "Hey, need a little more oil this month." Now, the other thing that happens, you take our crude oil out of the market, and your listeners, you and I can plan on paying $5 plus for gasoline. And who does that hurt most? Matt Damon, Yoko Ono, they're going to still fly their jets. They're going to have money to do that. But the average American, that single mom that drives 60 miles to Charleston to go to work, and, and that, that $2 a gallon she was saving bought some really nice Christmas presents for kids. Who's really going to get hurt by $5 gasoline? What about those senior citizens that are on fixed incomes? Food prices go up. Everything goes up. So, you know, if people don't understand energy and where it comes from and how important oil and gas is to our country, there's some things we can do to help improve CO2. But we need to do it as a team. We need to have enough gumption, as, have some leaders that actually understand the truth and actually bring people together because we can use our renewables in a smart way. We can make some really good things happen and make some good decisions as long as we're using truth and good science and not fear and hype and, and some of the crap that I'm hearing. That's why I did the book. I'm an engineer. I, I, I didn't, I didn't even want to go there, but nobody else is talking about this stuff. So anyhow, that's the rest of the story. Well, and, and that's what leaders do. They, they, they take on tough topics. They, and as long as you're bringing actual facts and the truth to get that message out, that's another sign in my mind of a great leader. It may not resonate on all the years, but at least you're providing the facts, the truth behind it, showing the benefits. And you know what? That's, that's the big piece. And 
especially taking on co- on topics that might be a little bit more controversial than others. And I, I, I admire you for doing that. I mean, in this conversation that we've had, we've gone from, uh, well, we, we started with Dick Cheney and, <laughs> <laughs> and we went to, we went to soccer and we went to fracking and we get, talked a little bit of politics. We're almost kind of like a whole 360 here. Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, i tell you what's really cool because I did, I was asked by one of my clients to do a uh, presentation. They needed someone to be on a frack panel in, at the Vermont School of Law. Now, can you imagine Vermont, Bernie Sanders? I mean, it's probably as liberal as you can get. But, you know, they set this thing up right, and we really had a good discussion. That's key. And it happened to be the same day as my son was retiring from the Navy, so I couldn't stay for the whole thing. And this lady, and, I, you know, I, you never know how, how everybody perceives everything, but clearly they were not pro-frackers when you're talking about Vermont School of Law. But I got a voicemail. I picked it up the next morning and she said, Mr. Kazera, I am so glad that you were able to participate. We had never looked at fracking that way before. And probably what happened, no industry person would dare go up there because like, well, you know, I know what that's going to be like. And they're going to, and I'm thinking, look, if somebody doesn't have the gut to stand in front of an audience and tell the truth and, and I believe me, I don't know everything. So I learned, I mean, the beauty of what they did is they set up a, a, a panel that, we all learned something. I learned some things that I needed to know. They learned some things that they needed to know. And when I, I told the girl when she got down, I said, can you imagine what if we could do this in Washington? Because everybody gained from this. We could sit down now if we were the policymakers and do something really good for this country because we've got everybody represented here and nobody's worried about, we're all trying to come up with a good answer for everybody. And so we're, we're actually listening to each other. How power, I mean, think about that. When I listen to my wife, I really learn some things. <laughs> and, and so it's like, wow, what, an, what a novel thing. You actually listen to. And, and if we did that in Washington, what they did in Vermont, we can do some incredible things. We can have an environment here and, and planet-wide that's better than what it is. And since we're the energy grow of the planet, we can do things for people around the world. I mean, think about it. There's, Kids in India, I heard an NPR report a few weeks ago, Peter, that half the kids in New Delhi are, are got permanent lung damage because the air is so bad. Now, if they were starving, we'd be sending food over there. Right. But they're just going to die of, who knows, lung damage or whatever, COPD. We can fix that. We have the energy to fix that. If we have, if, if we were able to work together and get the, the, di- get the dialogue right and forget politics and and agendas. Let's do something for the planet. Let's do something to help everybody, not just our people here, but people around the world. And that's what I think. That's what leaders should be doing. I, I think I, great point. That's what leaders should be doing. And before we begin to wrap up, I just want to say that as you're describing this, this thing at the Vermont School a lot, I, I was really curious on how that was going to turn out. And I, I tie this back into my book a little bit because you weren't. You, you said we were able to have a conversation. We were able to have a dialogue. We were able to debate. And, and the only way that you were able to do that is both sides had respect for the other party. And as you said, both sides were listening. Where it all falls apart in leadership is when you don't have respect for the person you're dealing with. No matter if you're, if you're in corporate America, you're at a university, you're uh, ahead of this country or uh, another country. Once we lose that respect, everything else falls apart. Uh, you're you are absolutely spot on. If anybody wants those books, just the fracks, ma'am, and learn leadership, they're out there on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I got a website, greatcazera.com, where I do a blog, so they can find my blog. It's on energy, but it's also really mostly leadership stuff. But uh, all, they're all online. Just the fracks, ma'am, and uh, learn leadership. And we, I will also have them in the show notes on the website, links to the books and to his website as well. And, and as we wrap up, I like to do this so the audience can get to know maybe a little different side of you. I, I you don't you you have not seen these questions. I call them ten quick questions or some type of rapid fire piece. Uh, so you ready for these ten really tough questions? Absolutely, fired up. All right, first one: skyline or White Castle? White Castle. All right. Baseball or soccer? <laughs> soccer. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> go go figure. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Ooh, boy, that's a tough one. Probably on the start. No, no, Star Wars. Star Wars. And this last one, maybe, maybe that was, maybe this last one that just came out was the 
wow, I I have not I have not seen it yet. I guess I better go see it. I, they did a really great job of tying everything, the past and the present. I mean, they did a, just an awesome, awesome job. So I'll go with the latest Star Wars movie. Okay. What's your favorite city to visit? Right now, probably Orlando, because Disney World's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Okay. Um, who's your most admired leader? Wow. Going way back when, I'd probably say Lincoln. Okay. Probably in recent years, I'd say Ronald Reagan. Okay. But, you know, both, particularly Lincoln had to deal with an incredible amount of, I mean, you talk about the, the conflict any president had to deal with, and, and he handled it incredibly well. Reagan, because and you, you knew where he was, he, I mean, he was really the, the leader. I mean, he was the guy that I've heard it said that he was like your dad. He was going to turn the light out in, in the bedroom at night. But, I mean, you, you could try, when he stood up and said, this is what we're going to do, I could believe him. Even if I didn't agree with him, I could believe him. And you could trust him as well. Exactly. That trust is so important. You're right, Peter. All right. Five Guys Hamburger or Long John Silver's Fish and Chips? Ooh. Boy, that's a top. I'll go with uh, Five Guys. Five Guys. Do you remember Long John Silver's? Oh, we got one here in town. Oh, they're still around? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I haven't seen one in a long time. Yeah, no, they're they're good. I was That's why I had to think about that one. Uh, I, I was a little surprised when you had to think. I mean, I, I do remember eating... Fish and chips were very, very good back in the day. But well, Arthur, Arthur Treacher's is gone, but Long John's is still here. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, we got several of them in town. Interesting. I, I don't, I don't think there's any here in Columbus, but I'm actually going to take a look after this is done. <laughs> Cheers or the Big Bang Theory? Cheers. Cheers. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. <laughs> LeBron James or Michael Jordan? I got to go with LeBron. LeBron. That. 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 Uh, that Cleveland championship was just, I mean, that's, isn't that, isn't that what we're talking about? The vision. I mean, here's a guy that has this vision and he's not, he has the guts to tell everybody, I'm coming back to Cleveland and here's what we're going to do. And Don, three games to one, he pulls it off. What, what a classic. I mean, you can't write that story. No, you can't. It is so powerful. ESPN had a 30 for 30 out uh, a few weeks ago called Believe Land. Prior to uh, uh, the championship games, and it's all about how Cleveland sports and the, the rough and you know always fought the drive, the fumble, and, and all of that. I watched it last night, and they've already changed the ending to put in the championship. <laughs> I love that. That what a great. I mean, that's something that, and and really, even for young people, what an example. I mean, a you never quit, but b if you know what you want, I mean. You know what a deal. I mean that that there's so, leadership in so many different areas. and and really. I mean we used to live in Worcester, and I felt so bad for the people in Cleveland for years because I mean I mean they were so close, right? Or in some cases not even close not at even. all. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean I I mean I I was absolutely thrilled for them because I mean let's face it, a lot of our NSA buddies are from up there in Cleveland, and it's like for them this this was one for the this is one for the for for the t all, all times. Exactly. And and the last question, uh, I actually got two questions, but the last one: What's your favorite restaurant? Ooh, um, what? And it doesn't have to be in Charleston; it can be anywhere. You know, I'll tell you what. I like that. Uh, what's the name that that grill up there? At Polaris Polaris Grill. Polaris Grill. I really like that. Okay. It's it, it's I, actually it's about three minutes from my house, and and we used to go all the time but now we don't venture too far but that's my wife and her girlfriends go up there a lot and, and the one last question i do have is what's the name of your dog abby abby and abby's there with you isn't she she sure is can, 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 can you how, what kind of dog is abby she's a golden retriever the golden retriever can you push can i see her absolutely can you see her Oh yeah, she's just laying on the she's laying on the floor, half asleep. Uh, I I could hear her panting at times in the background, so I knew there was a dog in in your eye. She's she's paranoid though, because like when we, like we'll leave town for uh, we were we were at a uh, meeting last week in Virginia Beach, and when I come back, I can't go anywhere. I mean, she's <laughs> really she's just literally. I mean, I'll be taking a shower, and all of a sudden, there'll be this, the door will open up, and I'm thinking it's Linda, and it's like, no, it's the dog. <laughs> she just wants to make sure she knows where we are. So, so. He's a dandy. Well, Greg, thank you so very much for giving me the time, and I greatly appreciate it. I enjoyed this conversation on 
leadership and learning more about fracking and tying it all together. Uh, I got to know you a little bit better. Looking forward to seeing you at uh, the next NSA meeting. And once again, thank you very much for your time. Hey, thank you, Peter. I had a ball. Great. And uh, I guess we'll see everybody on the next episode. Bye now. Now, that was an interesting interview, and I loved how it started off when Greg said, Cheney wouldn't know a frack job if he walked up on one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm laughing about the visual in my head or the words frack job. There are a lot of wonderful stories about leadership throughout this interview. I did enjoy what Greg said about leaders. Leaders know where they are going. They know and understand their vision and can articulate it to the rest of the organization. Think about when Greg was talking about his soccer team, which had a losing record, when one of his students had a vision that they were going to win the state championship. Greg had to use his improv skills because he thought about saying, let's aim a little lower, but stopped himself, adapted to the situation, and then yes, ended to the kid, and the rest is history. Then he discussed about how leaders need to trust their people and the example that he gave about the senior captain passing the ball to the freshman protege who scored the winning goal. What a great story that should be turned into a movie. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you feel so moved, I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd write a review on iTunes. I think Greg would appreciate it as well. In episode 22, I interviewed Greg Lanus, who's a senior vice president and division director of Robert Half Management Resources in Hartford, Connecticut. Until next time, use the principles of improvisation and become the leader that you envision. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.